evening and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. show tonight we've got Mr Dave Fryer and also Mr Rick Hyatt, Josh Sheehan from Yelvertown Football Club and of course Paul Thorpe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of In 80's Voice Football Bloody Hell. Now, unfortunately, AD this week is feeling a little bit under the weather, so he's uh, playing recording duty uh, for us this evening. But my guests, alongside myself, Dave Pryor, uh, this evening are Paul Thorpe. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, and uh, welcome to all the listeners. Uh, Rick Hyatt is with us. Hello. And we also have, straight from the Oval Town squad, Josh Daunton's also with us again. Nice to have you here, Josh. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back, mate. No worries. No worries at all. So, uh, we had a little bit of a discussion to uh, about where to start first. And um, it was a unanimous choice. And uh, we're going to start with the... We're going to start chronologically, really, with what happened on Saturday. And that was the early kickoff. Uh, no, not Chelsea, Manchester City, but I think Manchester United, Aston Villa, all happened in the last five minutes. Paul, first of first of all, what did you make of it? Well, what a fantastic day! The sun was shining, you know, the football was on, and Old Trafford, I thought, was looking absolutely magnificent as it always does. Unfortunately, there all of a sudden became a grey cloud, and that grey cloud was Aston Villa with a mighty performance. And I've got to say, probably the game should have been out of sight in the first half. But finally, they broke through. And um, instead of the black country up in the Midlands, there was a beautiful sunshine with a beautiful three points. And uh, as, a, as a, you know, in, after being in a very exciting game ourselves with one of the high flyers of the uh, Premier League, Brentford, you know, we've managed to scrap in another fantastic 3-3 draw. And then looking just across the old river at uh, the sorry state of Manchester. And what a fantastic result. I thought thoroughly deserved, if I'm honest, as well. I thought they played really, really well. I thought uh, Manchester looked a little bit disjointed and a little bit vulnerable. Any more? 
<laughs> well, I'd like to carry on, but we just haven't got the time, have we? We just need to no. you know, bring other stuff. But I just, know. of course, I just wondered how long it would be before A.D. Hopper decided to get off that sick bed and come in with his uh, counteract. But it looks like he's still very much in recording duty, so that's all fine. Um, Rick, we'll come to you then. Obviously a Manchester United fan, as all the listeners know. How much of this was about Manchester United not getting the result as much as it was Aston Villa putting in a good performance and, you know, in the end, possibly deserving the three points? A bit of both. A bit of both, really. I mean, fair play to Villa. They're not the pushover that uh, they have been for the previous, what was it, 35 wins in a row that United had against them, something like that. They, they turned up, they played well, scored an offside goal. Bruno missed a penalty. Bingo. There you go. Job done. United didn't deserve to get anything out of the game, really. A draw would have flattered them. Um, so, I mean, there's not an awful lot more you, you can say, although apart from the fact that seeing Thorpe's smiley face is not really what I needed to, uh, <laughs> to make me feel better about the result. And I never, <laughs> ever want to see it again. <laughs> You, you've t- you touched on the, the goal there, and I I have to admit that when you look, compare it to the, was it the one against um, Leicester. Leicester City, had at Brighton? They yeah. did seem awfully similar. Josh, I'm going to bring you in on this one. Did you did you see the goal? And, no, um, I, haven't, I haven't seen any of it. I was in a hotel at the time and uh, didn't, didn't get back from match of the day, so got no idea. <laughs> Just saw the result and thought. Yeah, yeah, I didn't need to say any more than that. <laughs> yeah, that's Josh, can I can I ask Josh a question? So, Josh, being that it's the top level of football in the world, yeah, would you have not expected Ronaldo to take that penalty? Because when we're talking about like the, the highest level of football, I mean, you you basically uh, when I was managing, I knew what my penalty taker was. I knew what yeah, my yeah. second take taker penalty taken was I never really went past two because one of them I thought would be on there if yeah, it was yeah. I, I could make a decision but at that high level and even at your level you know basically what the structure of the side is yeah, what yeah. you're trying to achieve on that day what your game plan is and obviously who's taking the free kicks who's taking the corners who's on the post who's on the penalty spot yeah. and, and who's marking who uh, in the game and who their danger men are because you, you obviously go through yeah. in, in the in the pre-match um, build-up to, to organising that. So, being the fact that we're talking about the highest level, I know I know uh, Fernandez is a, is a tremendous football penalty taker, but he has missed four. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder yes. if having Ronaldo breathing down his neck adds to that pressure. That's why I thought maybe having... Because obviously everyone... You, he's a fool. He's easy. It's easy to make let Ronaldo take the penalty, isn't it? And I didn't. I didn't know Fernandez had missed four, to be honest. But I did think would he have missed that had Ronaldo not been on the pitch? Because it kind of puts in the back of your mind. God, if I miss, everyone's just going to say Ronaldo should take it. Yeah. And it was a poor so penalty, you feel really. that he might have had that extra pressure there. Like. Yeah, I think I think it definitely has a bit of extra pressure. Thinking because up until now he's never really had any pressure in, to be the penalty taker. I, I was thought every time it was. Definitely him because Pogba missed a couple, didn't he? Yeah, so it was definitely it was definitely Fernandez. And then when you sign someone like Ronaldo, you've kind of, you're kind of proving yourself that you to stay on penalties rather than just giving it to him. So definitely, I think it adds a bit of pressure, which might might have resulted in the miss. Yeah, I agree. So so the next part of the question is is Rick, you know, would you as a fan 
have expected him to then take on the reign of penalty taker? Uh, I don't know. It's a toss of a coin, isn't it, really? Uh, you say Bruno's missed four. That's four in his career. So that's not a bad, it's not a bad record. And Ronaldo, the one that sticks in my mind is the is the 2008 Champions League final. The only United player to miss one was Ronaldo. Was Ronaldo. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's how, it's something that they've got to sort out amongst themselves. And uh, just the way, the way somebody, the, the keeper, Martinez, got in Bruno's head beforehand because I've never seen him take a penalty like that before. He's normally got his skippy one or he yeah, yeah. puts it in the corner, but he's never actually just gone full Ray Stewart and just black. It, it looked very rushed, didn't it? It looked all very, I need to take this as quick as possible. Yeah. And... Considering that there was like a five-minute break beforehand yeah. when the, the Villa players were all surrounding the referee and and delaying things and getting in getting in his head. So yeah, and he did. Believe, not a lot of thought involved in it. Yeah, I believe that's what uh, uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was complaining about. Not only the you know the actual like uh, offside goal um, was the actual like uh, the time it took for the referee to actually sort yeah. out so that he could take the penalty, which was like I say was just over five minutes. So uh, yeah, it was, I'd be a little bit cheesy about as well if I was manager like. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, you would expect him to, you know, certainly. You know, slot that one away, uh, but to see it go right over the bar, like Johnny Wilkinson's was, was quite. I've got to say, uh, quite a shock. It is the manner he missed it as well, wasn't it? I mean, it's not even yeah, as if yeah. it, if it's just, he's, he's had him saved before and scored the rebound, but that was just that was just a rush of blood to his head. Well, I mean, I thought it was summed up. I don't know if any of you guys saw Match of the Day yesterday, but they took the right Royal Mickey by doing a moon landing compilation with the uh, yeah. and the closing <laughs> credits of Match of the Day, which I thought was very risky from the BBC to be doing something like that. I'm sure that won't have um, uh, pleased the powers that be yeah. at Match <laughs> But just closing on this one, um, Rick, you'll be pleased to know. But um, just from the fans' perspective, is there cause for further concern or just a, like you say, bad day at the office, missed a penalty, potentially a goal that could have been offside, just one of those things and move on? Uh, if it was in isolation, yeah. But given the last one, one of the last four, and that was uh, more by luck than judgment, winning the West Ham game, hanging on to it. So, yeah, there's obviously concerns. But then the bigger picture is to look at where United are in the league table. And it's it's early doors in the season, so you know all the all the cliches come out because they're true. It is, and it's yeah. also United have had a better start than they had last season, and finished runners up. So, don't know. It's very very early to judge, but you, you'd hope that there was something, some process in place to actually get United with a defined style of play because it it does seem very much like Oli Solskjaer is going down the down the roads of Matt Busby. Matt Busby's team talks used. Used just to be go out there and entertain, and it seems pretty much like Ollie's of that. He's got eleven individuals, very good individuals, but no game plan. And he's relying on individual bits of brilliance to get them through games. And that that will work against a lot of teams, but it won't win you the big games, and it won't win you trophies. So there's work to be done. Well, like you've just said, um, it isn't necessarily too costly because of the other results that went around uh, the Premier League this weekend. Yeah, the West other really. Pro- 
Brentford got points. That was disappointing. <laughs> we'll come on to them in a minute. Um, but um, the other big game was touted as you know potential champions against the um, the existing champions, Chelsea against Manchester City. I think some people would have looked at this one and a bit of an eye-raising result, really, considering that Manchester City not only won, but also they kept a clean sheet at Stamford Bridge as well. Um, Josh, were you surprised by this result at all? Or does Um, it just go to show how open this season is that people weren't really talking about City, albeit early days, and suddenly they win at the bridge and suddenly they're sort of flavour of the the week? Yeah, uh, we we watched the first 20 minutes of this in, in the hotel, the boys, and... I thought it was quite a good game. It started off quite bright, but Man City are just so dominant with the ball, aren't they? Even against Chelsea, they from the bits I saw, they just dominate possession. So they're always going to create chances and you've got to be at your absolute best to keep them out. So, And if they're keeping clean sheets, they're going to win a lot of games because they're, they're going to score a lot. But I think, I think to be honest, I've been quite impressed by the start of the season. There's a lot of teams, no one looks like they're just going to beat everyone all, all the time, which I think makes for a much more entertaining season than... Because I, I see, I saw an interview with uh, with some Man City fans saying why they didn't feel the still feel the stadium. They said it's boring dominating everyone week in week out. Oh bless! But but <laughs> at least but if that's the case, they can't because they're because they're getting draws and it's, it looks like it looks really open. I'm, I look forward for the rest of the season to be honest. Yeah, it was a very dominant display. It was Gabriel Jesus that that got the goal. Uh, Thorpey, did you did you see any of it? Were you impressed with what what you saw? Considering that um, all the talk was about Chelsea and if Lukaku was going to be able to get the better of Diaz and Laporte, but um, Manchester City really turned it on. Yeah, and and, and they really upped the game. Uh, they couldn't get going. They did, couldn't close down quick enough, really, for me, uh, Chelsea. But I'm still very, very impressed with what he's achieving there. Um, maybe I actually thought it was going to be a real, real test. And uh, time, time will tell when they, they they meet the other big, you know, the big players in the in the league uh, to see how he, he adapts his game to try and get back at uh, those points back. Because when you know at the top level, you know those those three points will be very valuable to Man City come the end of the season. Um, but yeah, uh, listen, we, we, we've said before about the size of the squad and, you know, blessing that Man City fan saying that, they, you know, you're not feeling the stadium because you're dominating teams every week. You know, I always thought that fans love winning games and winning trophies. So I'm not really quite sure where he's coming from. And, you know, it, I remember my time down at Taunton Town where we were expected to win down there. And it, it, it's quite nice uh, having that feeling that you're, going to win on a Saturday and you've probably got three, four big games of the year um, and the rest of them you should really win. And if something goes wrong, then, you know, you work that a little bit harder because you're expected to win. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised really. You know, Pep's a fantastic coach and um, he's got an amazing squad. So, he just on the day, they turned it on and uh, they turned it on in style, to be, I'll be honest with you. It's a... Uh, it was a pleasure to watch that game, and, and, and as Josh said, it was, a, it was a quite an it was quite an open game, and, and um, you know Chelsea certainly had their little part to play in it, and um, but they they came up against a Man City side who were just you know right on their their metal. It's a bit like the Ryder Cup, really, when it sort of like saw the, the American team and the way that they dominated that whole competition. 
you had to just put your hand up and say you were beaten by the better side today, and uh, you know, and uh, or better team. And um, I certainly think that was the case as regards to Manchester City on Saturday. Rick, just on that result and some of the other mm-hmm. results that you've had so far since the start of the season, is this maybe an indication that it might be the type of season where even in those big games, everyone's going to take points against everyone? You think so? It does look like it's going to be the most open Premier League for, for years. Generally, you get one team running away with it or potentially two together, but not a whole group There's four realistically you've got chances of, of winning and I'm just surprised that the, the national press missed out on that Manchester City Taunton Town comparison it's the first time I've heard it and <laughs> I, th- I think Absolutely. they're missing a trick there they're missing Absolutely. a trick two lines of English football <laughs> and, and, um, and I'll tell you what Manchester City should be very scared <laughs> probably got similar attendances so. <laughs> Uh, Josh, yeah, um, Josh, Taunton, Ta- Taunton Town aside, would you concur with the um, with the thoughts about the boys? Well, so far on this podcast since the start of the season, that it's probably going to be certainly, as it looks at the moment, the closest run title race yeah. we've had. While certainly with three or four teams amongst it. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I think that only makes for a better season, doesn't it, for everyone to watch rather than watching someone just week in week out just running away with it. Like we've seen results like. Even, just, just it's just hard to pick a winner. Whereas there's a lot of games last year where you'd you can almost pick the winner for five, six, four or five games before a ball had even been kicked. Whereas there's been a lot of funny, funny results, and it leaves everything wide open, which is which is only better for the spectator, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's been a really uh, up and down week for um, accumulators, but of course, please gamble responsibly. Um, just going in. Um, to the tea time kickoff, then was uh, Brentford Liverpool. What a game! Six goals, thriller. As much as I, of course, have allegiances to Liverpool and want them to see them do well, I couldn't begrudge um, Brentford getting the equaliser. I felt that they fully uh, deserved it in the end, and a draw was probably about right. Obviously, Salah uh, had that chance at 4 2. Missed it, and then that went back to sort of bite Liverpool on the bum, really. But Salah did get his 100 Premier League goal, was it? I think um, at the weekend. Yeah. Thorpey, I'm assuming, I'm assuming uh, you would have watched the game. What did you make of it, both as from a Liverpool perspective, but also just how good were Brentford as well? Well, I just think it was a fantastic uh, game for for the fans, the neutrals. I thought it was an excellent attacking game. Um, yeah, I must say, Brentford uh, found out a few little vulnerabilities aerial-wise as regards to Liverpool's defending, which I think needs to be addressed straight away. But um, I, I just got to compliment the way that he's running the club and they should be very excited because they've just made a fantastic start. So I think that it shows they, they've got a real opportunity of... Um, you know, of staying in the league. They're lying ninth at the moment with like nine points. And I think that, I think they've just made a fantastic start to the season. You know, I've just got to compliment. I like, I like the manager. I like the way, he, you know, he's po- positive. Um, he, he totally understands that they can get beat and, and he totally understands the league. And he's just made it extremely exciting for their fans. And I think that it's a great place to go and watch football at the moment. And uh, they thoroughly... Deserved their, their their point for for Saturday. They never gave up. I thought the fitness levels were amazing. 
And um, as I say, they showed up a vulnerability. So, you know, we got to watch out because teams might start taking that little bit more of a dominant aerial approach against against Liverpool. Rick, from the neutral, did you did you watch this one? Neutral? Um, <laughs> well, sorry, with your Brentford hat on. <laughs> very much a Brentford hat. Very much a Brentford. They, they look good, don't they? They know what they're about, and they have done for two or three seasons now, so I don't think they're going to be uh, disappearing from the Premier League anytime soon. Mo Salah is still not a midfielder. He is a forward, just in case... Uh, fantasy league people are listening. He is a forward, and uh, yeah, more goals. His his record is phenomenal. But um, they were also two cleared off, two cleared off the line as well in that game. So they yeah, yeah, very much so. It was. Um, I, I thought their goalkeeper Raya um, was exceptional. Um, he oh, made a couple of really good, um, yeah. really good saves. Do you have uh, some points on that thought? I, I thought it was outstanding. You know, um, it makes listen. The, the fine margins are Salah should have scored. No two ways about it. He had a touch and he should have like hit it first time. You know, a man of his ability should have, should have definitely scored that that situation. But you got to take your hat off to him. Like they defended like Trojans, they blocked really really well. I mean, it was a real fine art in defending. And I think Josh and and if you'd have seen it, uh, and I certainly did appreciate that the workload that went into. Um, you know, just showing how good defending can be. You know, it's all we know about Ronaldo, we know about his strikers and the fantastic wingers and the tricky little midfield players. But the, the art of defending is, is 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 such a is such a beautiful art. And um, you know, they were throwing themselves, blocking, and it was just brilliant. The keeper, as they say, pulled off three or four fantastic saves. And uh, yeah, they certainly they got it right there at the moment. And long may that continue because they're definitely an exciting part of the Premiership now. And um, Josh, just coming to you on that one, Brentford, you know, a prime example of how, um, you know, a team, you know, have got good backing behind them and, um, you know, good fans. They were historically a well-established football league club for a long old time. If you get it right somewhere at one of these clubs, then uh, it can take you a long way. Yeah, they're, um, they're a good, they're just a good club, aren't they? They have been for years, even the way they do things. I remember playing, used to play against them a lot at youth level, they're always had good footballers and they're just a good club and it and it's, it feels like a nice club when you go there. I think uh, I think Ethan Pinnock scored, didn't he, for them? And I mean, he was at Forest it, Green. Yeah, Forest when Green I, Rovers. Yeah, when I, I remember playing against him for, for Dagenham when he was at Forest Green when they won the league. So it just shows if, if you get the right sort of team together with the right sort of management and everyone's moving in the same direction, how just how far you can go. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's like they've, got, they've got Yeovil Town to thank as well because, of course, if Yeovil Town didn't beat them in that League One playoff oh. final <laughs> in 2012, then maybe they wouldn't have got to where they are now. So, the big one yesterday, so as we record this, so uh, referring to Sunday, was of course the North London derby. A lot of uh, people were touting this as possibly c- could be the worst. Derby in history in terms of what both are fighting for and the quality that both teams are putting on display at the moment. But um, that first 45 minutes from Arsenal, I mean, two ways of looking for looking at it, isn't it? It was beautiful football, the Arsenal of old, but also really poor from Spurs. Rick, did you see this one? I saw most of it. 
unfortunately, I missed the good bit and saw most of the second half, which was pretty, pretty ordinary. Uh, yeah, it's who's going to get? Who do you reckon could possibly get sacked first out of those two managers? Because it looks like Nuno now. Yeah. I think he might, he might, he might be gone very, very soon because he wasn't Spurs' first choice. He's got three one-nil victories in his first three three games, and they weren't dominant. Now he's just got they've got their uh, is it three three goals they've conceded in each of the last three games. There's there's problems, big problems at Spurs. Yeah, got manager of the month as well. So obviously the curse of that uh, particular trophy is still running its course. Um, were we maybe possibly a bit harsh on Arsenal's start? The fact that they did play... Um, no, they're still, still ordinary. In terms of um, the quality of opposition that they were playing. Um, Thorpe, what do you make of both teams' start to the season and in particular the game yesterday? I'm, I'm more excited for, for Arsenal than I am Tottenham. I think Tottenham are in dire straits. I think defensively, I think they're poor. I think they're being found out a little bit. Um, you know, I spoke to my brother who's a top, Tottenham fan and I said, you know, really, I've, are you excited? He went, no. Um, he'd <laughs> like to have seen somebody like Conti there, you know, somebody who's going to push. But, you know, it's very much about Daniel Levy. He was saying about Daniel Levy picking a very average manager and uh, they had a bit of luck a few years back, and um, which was exciting. But they still didn't give him the manager the real real money that was required to take him to that next level. You know, so they did really, really well to get to the to the Champions League final. Um, but they needed a lot more to, to sustain that. And I don't think it's it's coming. You know, it was talked on uh, radio today, Daniel Levy can 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 get the Joshua fight for the stadium. He can get the NFL there. You know, he's fantastic at organizing that, but he's not very good at dishing out the money to actually make them into a top-level team. And I think that's where where they fall down. Arsenal, I think that they look a lot brighter. They, their youngsters are coming through and they're looking very exciting. But I still think they've got more vulnerabilities. And I think that they're, uh, they're, they're in about the right place at the moment. You know, when you see them in 10th and 11th at the moment um, with nine points. You see Brentford there with nine points. And I'd much go and watch Brentford though, with those two teams at the moment. It's a fair fair point. I mean, when you look at the, you know, certainly where they are at the moment and where, you know, they've come from. Um, Josh, if this is not too hard-hitting a question to put on you, but... Who's under the underachieving the most out of those two? Oh, I don't know. It's a hard question. I think, I, I think I, you look at Harry Kane. I think he's mentally gone. I think they may as well have cashed in. On, I personally feel they, they may as well have cashed in on him in the summer because they're not going to get anywhere near that if they if they if he if he stays and if they try and sell him in January. Has he scored yet? He doesn't look no. like it. I don't even think he looks like he wants to be there and. And that, that that money they could have put straight back in the squad, and they could have bought three or four good players. And I just mm. think they've. I think the problem is with Spurs, they had an aging. I thought their team was old when they won the when they got to the Champions League final, and they never really. The thing is, when when you look at them top teams like the Man United of old, when they were dominant, every season they built on it. They built. They brought in better players to strengthen their squad, and, and I never saw Tottenham doing that. I thought they. It always felt like they were lucky to be where they were. They were always 
happy to be in a final rather than thinking next year we'll win it, then the year after that we'll dominate again. And I think mm. when, you, when you've when you got a strong team, you need to keep building on it. I just feel like Tottenham never do that. And I think they're paying the price now for having an ageing squad and not really bringing anyone through. Like you look at their good centre-backs for Vertonghen and... Um, Oh, yeah, and, and, and then you look at that and who are they bringing through and you think they're old blokes now and and they've just not replaced them. And, and I think it's hard, especially when you're not giving, giving money. And I don't know who's a more... Arsenal's a bigger club than Tottenham, isn't it, in terms of you'd you'd expect more from Arsenal than you would Tottenham. So in the question of who's underachieving more, I'd say Arsenal at the moment. But Tottenham, are, for me, are the, most disapp- the more disappointing one because I used to like watching Tottenham. I thought they played really nice football, but... Mm. I don't really get any pleasure out of watching him play anymore. Thorpe, you got a point on that? I just think it's a valid point. What Justin just said, like, you know, that that not selling Kane might have cost them 50 million. You know, it might have cost them, you know, 30, 40, 50 million pounds, you know, and he's right. They, they could have bought, they could have bought three and maybe, you know, four players for the money that, that, uh, you know, they'd got in for Kane and they'd have been, the team would have been energised and fought lively, you know, where like Kane, like, I totally agree with, with Josh again. I think that he looks like he doesn't want to be there. He said that he wanted to move, you know, and Daniel Levy being the businessman that he, he, he is and, you know, and, and the chairman and, of that And, team, and Thorpe, have... that's your Sorry? captain. That's your captain. If your captain's yeah. saying that, what sort of, what sort of message is that making? That, yeah. yeah, what sort in of message is that saying in the dressing room? Like, if your captain doesn't want to be there... Yeah. The other boys going and training, thinking every day, like if he's got it, he's the biggest player of that club. He's a cap, club captain, and he doesn't want to be there. How yeah. do the other boys get motivated for games? Do you think Harry Kane gets a free pass on that, Josh? Because when, because that's a very good point you've just made there. But everyone seems to say, "Oh, but he's a good professional. He's a good professional." But what does that yeah. statement no, actually no, mean? No, 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 no. That's that, 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 that's that's not enough. You know, you're 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 in the trenches with your mate on a or your teammates on a fucking Tuesday night away somewhere else. You know, Josh will tell you, you need to back back this guy. Yeah, and yeah. if you're away and your striker is like a bloke who doesn't want to be there, do you want him in the team? Yeah. Forget about him. You know, I want I want eleven people there that that want to play together. And when you get that camaraderie and when you get that um, togetherness and you want to like fight for each other, wow, it. it you don't get it that often in football, and when you do get it, you want to keep it for as long as possible. And you know, yeah, definitely. I think, especially as a captain, I think you want to look at your captain in the eye and think, "This bloke is going to run for a brick wall for me." Yeah. And all of us boys, he's going to lead by example. And if your own captain has not got no, hasn't got any fire in his belly to to play play for the club, what 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 what's in it for everyone else? And you just think that is that that is the one everyone should be looking up to. Who, when when the chips are down, he drags you through it. When 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 you're having a bad day, he's the one who rallies the troops. And he looks the least interest, interested out of anyone, and his statements over the summer backed it up. And I, and if it was me, if I was cap, if I was if I was manager, I'd, I would have taken the captaincy off him. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. just done that. Just done that. Just done that point, yeah. Josh. I don't I don't want you to. Yeah, I'm not asking you to name names or anything like that. I'm just interested to know that as a player, I'm sure there's been scenarios, whether it's been. Um, yourself involved in a scenario like that or whether you've heard other teammates from uh from teams uh gone by where there's a situation where a player wants out and then it it, i'd imagine when 
from the outside, people saying about disrupting the dressing room and losing the dressing room, that quotes like that are actually reflective of what can go on, depending if somebody wants to leave. Yeah, definitely. It's football, And the thing is, with football, it's a t- tiny, tiny, tiny little world. Everyone knows everyone. Mm-hmm. So people talk <laughs> and your mates from other clubs are saying, oh. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So-and-so doesn't want to be there. And then it's just it's just a rumour mill all the time. Like football's football very much like that. And and that sort of disruption in the dressing room, I've personally never been in it myself. Fortunately, I've never been in a position where I've had someone who's desperate to leave. And if I have, the manager has said, fine, go go do your thing. We don't you don't disrupt the whole squad. Because the thing is it, especially with, with someone with the power, the power went the power when it's a captain. You'll never under, you'll never know how big little comments in the dressing room might be like, oh, managers bringing us in so and so. Oh, they're not. We're not doing this right. And it turns the whole core of players against the clubs, the fan base. It can it can disrupt everything at a club because, especially younger players, they listen to the captain. And if the captain's not happy where he'd been, you could be the best professional in the world. But if you've got some ulterior motive going into training every day, sooner or later the the truth comes out and you'll, you'll make little comments like, oh, we're not doing this properly. I don't like how this is done. I don't like how it's done. And it rubs off on everyone. And then you get a nitpicky little environment where something which is absolute minuscule is made into a mountain and, it, and it's so hard to overcome for a squad of players. Dolby? Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, you know, the, the nitpicking really started even before Nuno Santos got into the job, you know, you know, he's the fourth choice manager and and all this. But what I'd like to say is that once he's taken that job, you need the backing of your players 100%. Otherwise, you're, you're dead meat, right? So all of a sudden, he's got a situation where he's got his captain who doesn't want to be there. So actually, when his captain's not given 100%, he's automatically let, letting, letting the team down. So what you'd find with other, if you get like, You've seen in the past, you've got like a player says a lot of transfer requests. He's not in the side. So I'd actually say, why is he playing him? You know, he's playing him because he's Harry Kane. But, you know, and he's, he's, he's got to get through to January before he can actually let him go. You know, and if, if it was me, I'd say, Nuna, if he's letting you down, get rid of him. You know, if I, got, if I had a player, listen, I've been the manager. If I've had a player I thought was letting me down, I don't want him in the side. I don't know, but... You know, whether it's contractually or whatever, I don't know. But he, 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 I think the players are letting the manager down. All the focus is that Nuno's not really the man for the job because he's not wasn't their first choice. They were at him straight away. The press were loving it. Oh, this is not the man job. He's not going to last very long. Well, actually, he's a very good manager and he's got a fantastic coach. And, he's, and he did, I think, a really good job at Wolves. But what he's got is players letting him down. Thorpe, how and many times have you seen a manager get sacked and the next result they win like 5-0? The same group Always of players, happen. and then Always everyone happens. goes, "Oh, it's the manager." There's no way a manager check come in one week and changed a whole squad of players. No. It's just the players' attitude towards the manager, and, and if yeah. you've got your captain saying, "Oh, we're not signing the right people," it can you, it can cause all sorts of problems. So you never know what's going on behind closed doors. And and for me, I think your captain's got to be the one you turn to when ships are getting hard, things are getting hard, and not someone who, who wants to jump off the ship, so to speak. Sorry, I was going to say also, what's his, what's his bloody agent doing? I mean, we talk about his the money, brother, isn't he? agent. Well, his brother, Charlie, is in it, a suit is it, is on his brother, own. Is, it, is his brother, is it? Yeah. What's he doing? Because I tell you now, you know, it, flipping out. I mean, 
you've got a chance to make that those millions and millions of pounds, and it's very, very lucrative. And what's he doing? So that's what he's saying. Actually, his brother, he's doing nothing because, because, yeah, but he's doing nothing because Harry Kane's making the decision. Yeah, but his brother, Charlie Kane, so he's Harry's agent, and Harry yeah. is his only client. Yeah. Daniel Levy is going to find out that like playing in the stock market, the value of footballers can go down as well as up. And he should have oh, cashed yeah. in. Yeah, week he by week. Strike yeah. while the iron's hot. Especially at and that, yes. It's going to work, yeah. in, work against them in the fact that they can't offload him until January now. And every week he puts in a performance like that. The asking price is going to get lower. Harry Kane's yeah. standing within the game is going to get lower. And just on the captaincy thing, um, did you see the Amazon Prime thing on Spurs? Yeah. They showed they showed Harry Kane's pre-match words to the team. Yeah. I don't think they're missing a lot. No, yeah. He's not exactly inspirational. It's probably do as I do, not as I say, because they, they were a bit weak, a bit wet. But there you go. Can't do everything. Is, um, is he in any danger of losing his England place, boys? Nah, is there anyone? No. Or is that the is that the issue because there isn't anybody behind him who is of that quality yet? I just think he's got a very safe safe role in both teams. Yeah. He's going to play every week for Tottenham. He's going to play every week for England. He's got no real pressure on him. Doesn't matter if he scores ten goals or no goals. He's going to play, and that's never a nice place to be as a well. No, it's, a, it's a very nice place to be, but it's not a very good place to be. And it's not a healthy place to be. You, yeah, need to be yeah. you need to be challenged. Need to yeah. be hungry, mm. and he's he just strikes me as being complacent right now. Whether complacent's the wrong word, but he's, as you guys have said, his heart's not his heart's not at Spurs at the moment. So Rick, just just uh, wrapping that one up, then who finishes higher, Arsenal or Spurs? Uh, Arsenal. Thorpe? Yeah, yeah, I'd say Arsenal. Yeah. Josh. Yeah, Arsenal. Yeah, I'm not. A... So that's all of you that have gone for Arsenal. Uh, to finish above Spurs. Guess time will tell uh, with that one. But tonight, uh, as we record this on the Monday, it's a really big night for Brighton. It's the strange derby. It's the M, whatever it is, 22 derby or something between Crystal Palace and Brighton. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, the Alley Mullery. The Motorway derby anyway. Yeah. But um, Brighton win here, then um, not only do they get bragging rights, if you want to call it bragging rights, <laughs> um, in, in this derby, but um, they also get the chance to go top of the Premier League. Um, Thorpey, how, what have you made of their start? And in particular, the manager, Graham Potter, who's sort of quietly gone around his, his business and some people were touting him to possibly be a potential future England manager as well. Well, he's, he's um, certainly the last couple of seasons, he's been learning his trade and apprenticeship, and he? And um, he's, he's struggled, had, had some bad runs, and but always brought them back. But they've always been fairly good to watch, aren't they? But this year, he's just come out of the, out of the traps um, at lightning speed. And like you say, tonight, they could go top. I mean, you know, my granddad was, um, was a referee, but he was also a Seagulls fan. And... Um, and he'll be looking down upon us and uh, with a, a nice big cheeky smile on his face, like because you know, they play some good football. And 
I think what I like about him is is that he's he's obviously a coach and he, they work extremely hard on the training ground um, because you just wouldn't get these type of performances. The players he's got, he's shown that he can work with these players and get good performances out of them. And and when they've had been down, that, that he's had no problem in you know he's not lost the changing room. Um, he's he's had them motivated and uh, I think he speaks well. So yeah, I, I think that but he's also I believe I mean. You're, Tell me if wrong. He's a, the experience he's had abroad. I think that's in his younger days. I'm not Austin, sure exactly where it was. Austin's in Sweden. He made his name. Sweden. Yeah, I think that that's put him in good stead. Where he's had to work really hard on the training ground, and um, you know, I can't com- again can't compliment him enough. I think he's doing a great job this year, and uh, he certainly um, he dons a beard very well, and certainly could 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 certainly get a, a decent side for his next job. Uh, Rick, um, do you get beard envy with Graham Potter? <laughs> uh, no, I do, I, I do believe that it's actually working the other way around. I had mine first, push off Graham. Um, <laughs> the thing, he, did have, he was in the frame for both the Everton and the Spurs jobs, I think, in the, in the summer. So he's obviously got, got potential there. And who'd have thought, I bet Sky has sat back quite happy about tonight because it's six weeks into the season, Monday night football, and who'd have thought that, you know, maybe they could have captured the moment when Brighton go go top of the Premier League. Yeah. So they've landed on the yeah. They this All last season, they were one of the most organised and tactically astute teams in the division. They just couldn't couldn't translate that into results. And this season, they just got out of the traps, like you say, flying, and, and the results and offside goals on their way after selling their big uh, centre half yeah yeah but then, then they, yeah. they they weaken the team because my favourite my favourite left back isn't in the league isn't playing for them at the moment uh, Dan Byrne always, always worth watching for a for a bit of a giggle but he's been replaced I forget the name of the lad now he's come from Barcelona and he's absolutely uh, outstanding Cucarella. a bit on him on Cucarella the... is it I think yeah, he's, got, something... he's got hair. Talk about beard envy. Have hair, <laughs> hair envy with that chap. But um, he's, he's playing out of his skin at the moment. And the thing is, Brighton are just converting the chances that they made last season yeah. this year round and getting results for it. So, with that in mind and everything set up on Monday Night Football, Josh, are we expecting a 3 0 win for Crystal Palace here? <laughs> yeah, I think we'll definitely do somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> should, be a good, should be a good game. Um, I, I don't want to call it that after that, but I, I fancy Brighton. But like you say, we've definitely jinxed it. So <laughs> probably going to get pasted, aren't they now? But no, I like what they're doing there. I, but Crystal Palace aren't a bad team, so Palace so played, should be Palace quite a good game. Played well against um, against Spurs the other week. They took them to pieces in the last half hour. So if if they play anything like that, it should, like I say, it will be a good game. Good yeah. game of football. Yeah, um, a lot of talk, obviously, has all been about Brighton because they've got a chance to go top. But let's look at Crystal Palace a little bit because I really thought before a ball would kick that they would really struggle this season. Purely because, was it nine first-team players? Possibly more were all out of contract. Vieira mm-hmm. has had to basically start again. Um, you touched on that result against Spurs. They brought in Edward from Celtic, which I thought was a really good piece of business for them to be able to pull yeah. that off. And get him to yep. go to there. Um, they obviously can't always rely on Zaha. He could be a little bit hot and cold and blow quite a frustrating character. But obviously, if he's you know if he's singing well, then 
so to Crystal Palace uh, tend to do well. But have has Vieira shown that he's got what it takes to sort of, you know, certainly uh, steer Palace to safety, if not um, further up the table? He's done a good job. And just looking at the fixtures that he's actually had, they Palace have already played Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, <laughs> West Ham and Brentford. So that's that's an, to come out of that with, with the five points that they've got and performances that they've had, and it's obviously going to, it is a rebuilding process, so it takes time to get players to actually, to gel on the field. So I, I think they're in a good, they're in a good position at the moment. Palace, they look strong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just want to go on to, on the flip side of the teams that have started relatively slowly this season that we might have expected to do much better. Um, I'm going to put Leicester possibly in that category. We've seen it time and time again. When a team does well, they manage to consolidate, they then get into Europe, and then suddenly mm-hmm. the results the following season just start to tail off a little. Um, they've got a 2-2 draw against Burnley. Burnley, of course, very workmanlike team, but they've got a little bit of pace in their side now with that corner they've got in from Leon and a really good goal. I don't know if you boys saw it, the second goal that he scored on the volley um, at the weekend to put them 2-1 in front, Burnley. But Leicester did get back into it, but could have easily lost the game if it wasn't for Chris Wood's header to be marginally ruled out for VAR. Um, should um, Brendan Rodgers be concerned by the start, Paul? I think he'll be a little bit concerned because obviously you want to keep you want to keep that momentum going. Um, again, it's a, it's a club that is is well run, but it's it's run within its means, and um, I think they just need they need to uh, sort of brighten up the squad a little bit. You know, um, I, I think that it's, it's it's a really very it's a very good team, um, but I can't really say they're going to break into the top four if you know what I mean. And so for them to have a an average start, they're in a fairly good place and they could push up with a bit of form up to those those uh, Europa Cup places. But I don't see them any more than that at the moment unless they really start... They, they need they need an amazing signing so to get other people to take way in a minute. What's happening at Leicester? You know, and if Vardy's getting that little bit older. He, he's still a tremendous scorer, but, you know, he's getting that little bit older. Madison is is on the bench now, where he was like you know running for a first team place right way through. So, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed. I mean, I, I worry for the likes of Southampton. I, I, I worry for the likes of Newcastle. And you know, the Norwich are already down, and and Burnley really, I think, will probably just scrape out of it. So, who's going to be dragged down into it? Leeds will come out of it. Um, so, I worry for Newcastle and Southampton, which would be two big clubs. Uh, that possibly could really, really struggle this year. Not a good weekend for Alan Shearer. No, no, it's not <laughs> because they're, they're the two, the two clubs he absolutely loves. And um, but you know, Hassan he's he's not. You have a look at his team. He's not won in. I think it's fourteen games. I think he's only won a couple of fraction. And Newcastle. Listen, I love the couple of players they got, but they're just not good enough. The man, the the, the owner's just not. Not giving him enough to, to, to the money to play with. What do you think a, of um, just on that? With um, sorry, Rick, I was just going to say uh, right. I'll, bring, I'll bring you on this. That um, you know, being a former um, Manchester United player, where what your thoughts are on Steve Bruce? Because he gets 
He obviously gets the. Steve Bruce gets, was a former from the United, 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 not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, it was close for a while. <laughs> um, but he obviously gets a lot of flack from all the um, from the Newcastle United fans, but. The media, he seems to get quite a lot of support because I think he's comes across as quite sort of a friendly, uh, down-to-earth kind of individual. But there has been more stories sort of in the last 12 months or so to say that maybe that isn't the case and he does get away with it sometimes with the press. And actually, the Newcastle fans have every right to say, look, we, we, we need a change here. Yeah, but they need a change further up. It's not Steve Bruce they need a change with. Obviously, it's the... It's the chairman, well, yes. the, the owner. That's that's where the problem is, isn't it? It doesn't matter whoever comes in. I mean, he, they constantly point at the achievements of, of Rafa when he was there. And apart from getting promoted, he didn't really do an awful lot different to what Steve Bruce has done. But um, here's a prediction for you. Bottom three, end of the season, will be the same bottom three that they are now. Really? Yep. Which is... Norwich. No. Mm-hmm. Norwich and Burnley and Leeds. Wow. Oh. Second season. Wow. They're, the, stays... they're this season Sheffield United. Rick, if it stays like that, I'll give you 50 quid for charity. There you go. I don't see that. Somebody will get no, dragged no, into we'll that. See. We'll, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to remember this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> So that we can come back to this one, but quite the statement. But thing is, I always think it's quite difficult to make a prediction before January because you get those managerial changes, the cash mm-hmm. injection. You're never yeah. quite sure someone's going to get booted. They'll bring somebody in, and then there's that sort of um, you know manager bounce, like Josh Dalton was talking about just now. That you know sometimes someone comes in and then they win their most of their games for the remaining three months. It's well, that's, yeah, that's not going to happen at least because there's no way they're getting rid of Bielsa. Uh, no. So they're doomed. <laughs> I'll go Southampton, Newcastle, Norwich. Yeah, oh, well, I, I Josh, sorry, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to ask you as well, then, Josh. Yeah, it pains me to say it because my brother's a massive Newcastle fan, but I just think it's just a, the fans deserve so much better, don't they, than what they get? It's just like a club where. Doesn't matter who manages it. Your, your hands are tied behind your back. You go and sign bang average foreign players for money who look like they don't really care for the club. They'd be better off playing. You, they'd be, be They must have better players than their on twenty threes. Yeah, I, I agree. Have, they yeah. must have some players in their twenty threes who would go out and run. Who would die for that team? And we all look at all the foreign mercenaries up there. Yeah, I think I think Norwich, Burnley, Southampton. Oh. Yeah, Norwich, Norwich, sorry, Norwich, Newcastle, Southampton, not not Burnley. So I was looking at them. Yeah, Ooh. I think Newcastle, can't see Newcastle staying up, unfortunately. So it's looking good for Norwich this season. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of um, the Norwich model? Because I mean, we're, talk, we're having to talk about it at the pub this weekend. That okay, from a business point of view, it seems to work for them. They get the payments, they get the parachute payments, they then get, the, obviously, the payments for winning the league. But what is interesting is, at the moment, you, we've seen before with clubs like West Brom where they're not quite good enough for the Premier League but um, good enough for the Championship. But with Norwich, they're not just not good enough for the Premier League, they're really bad. 
And when they're in the championship, they're not just good, they absolutely smash it. There's no there's no in between at all. Thorpe, can you explain that? No, no, I can't. Well, I certainly don't, I don't think their players are quite good enough. I look at the defensive side of it, and I think that they're handy in the middle of their defences. You know, it's too slow. His reaction times are not good enough. Uh, he looks tired during the games as well. And I just think that I just look at their squad. Do you know what? I, I, I'm I can't see where the next point is going to come from. I really can't, unless they put ten people behind the ball and try and scrap out a point. I can't see him scoring many yeah. goals. I can't see him. I'm looking at the teams there, even against Newcastle and Southampton. I'd expect Newcastle and Southampton to beat them. You know, my brother said to me, oh, they get a point. They've got to win sometime. They've got to get a point somewhere against uh, against uh, Everton. I went, Everton will win that game, no problem at all. I just don't know where the next point is going to come from. And when you're in that losing mentality it's sometimes re really really difficult to start winning again um i'd like to say something about about newcastle manager as well just just going back to it very quickly i i just think he looks unhealthy i i, I really worry for his health because i think that it's going to be it's, it's a really bad experience for him and i actually would say get out there as quickly as you can you know because i i, I look at him and he looks drained he looks that he, he looks tired, for, uh, he looks stressed out, and the stress is not, you know, good. I know where yeah, I was recently at work, and it's, um, he looks so stressed with the job, it cannot be good and healthy for the guy. I, I, I'd agree with that, Thorpe, because Newcastle, for some strange reason, because of years gone by, come with a massive sense of expectation. Yeah. When in, when in all honesty, they are scraping to stay up every year. Yeah. Because they don't put anything into club. So, so the fans... I've been to St James's and I think they're probably the best fans oh, I've, I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And they, they completely deserve better. But the sense of they are going to go and do something every season, I don't know where it comes from because the level of expectancy on the on the manager's head just is impossible. So yeah. I completely agree. If I was an old bloke, there's no way with a, with a, with a decent reputation in football, there's no way I'd be going, that, going near that job. It, it's got the potential to absolutely ruin your reputation and legacy in yeah. the game. Yeah. Because I can't I can't see any manager going there with the model they run and doing well. I think they I honestly think they'd be better off bringing their own players through and saying fans would fans would go and do that. Fans would watch that. Some boys who are boys who want to go and break their necks. More team. more of an affinity with it, wouldn't it? hundred percent representative of the area and the people. It's, it's it's like the only ground in the league I've seen where in the premiership where Every single fan there is a football fan. No one, there's no tourists. Don't sit there no. with their phones out. They are proper, proper football fans. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the fans would buy into it. They said, "What's the point of keep bringing a, a ten million pound player from France who's done nothing in his career, and then you're expecting to come and do something in the Premier League?" And it's it's a strange model they work on. They've got so many average foreign players. They're just never going to gel together because they're just trying to piece together nothing, really. Enough all the time. Just yeah, and there's no, there's no spine to their team. There's no core. There's no style of play. There's they've got they're just floating around trying to survive every year. Which a club like Newcastle is way too big to be doing that. Quite a damning 
Well, it's unfortunate though, isn't it? But you know, it is. It is. It is what it is. And uh, you know, when you sort of like I sort of said uh, a few seasons ago that the, the previous three managers have got a hundred million each. Uh, we haven't seen that since. But you know, Benitez has got not got hardly anything. Uh, Bruce has got absolutely nothing. You know, with relative terms in 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 Premier League history. And I just, I, I fear for the guy. I really do fear for him. And um, I, I hope he, he gets out of it as soon as possible, really. And uh, let's uh, something else. Because, uh, you know, like Josh said, it's, it, we all know it's a massive football club. You know, the football up in the northeast is, is their fans are fantastic, like, you know, and... Um, Dorpey, did, they... we're going we're gonna to we're gonna have to call it there, my friend, because we've hit the end um, of the oh, recording um, of Football Bloody Hell. But um, I'm sure you can subscribe to Paul elsewhere if you want to hear more of his thoughts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the weekend on Three Valleys Radio. But uh, my guests this evening, Rick uh, Thorpey, Josh Thornton from Yeovil. Thanks very much, boys, as always. No uh, for another. Thank you very much. As in the words of A.D. Hopper, football bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs>